This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is found in the fifth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 12. Also as this is confessed by the church in Lord's Day 39 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The fifth commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Concerning this commandment, the church makes her confession in Lord's Day 39. That's found on page 555 in the book of praise. Here the church confesses, what does God require in the fifth commandment? The answer, that I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our confession about the application of the fifth commandment in our day takes into account both the fact of God's sovereign authority, it is His will to govern us by the hands of others, as well as the fact that there are people who have received these positions of authority who abuse their God-given position. In order to navigate these difficult waters, we must always understand the principle that God's authority as our eternal King must trump our own desires, which are so often twisted by sin to become selfish and proud. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus shows us that our relationships to others who have some control over our lives is closely related to how much importance we give to ourselves and to our own rights. Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42, make it clear that if we want to obey God and recognize His authority, also it is, as it is manifest in the lives of the people He has placed in authority over us, we will need to fight against our own sins of pride, selfishness, desire of revenge, and to clothe ourselves with a humble trust in God's rule and sovereign power in this life. This change that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts becomes most evident and evident to others when we are faced with the weaknesses and shortcomings of people who mistreat us whether by force or by show of right. And disregarding for a moment then what people in authority should be doing with their power or how any person should treat their neighbor, in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus makes us focus on our attitudes when we have to deal with a person who is evil. How can Christians show that they have the Holy Spirit in their attitudes towards others, especially those in authority who do things we don't like. The Lord Jesus teaches us that answer in the gospel that I proclaim to you under the following theme, citizens of God's kingdom are patient with the weaknesses of others. 
We'll see that the Holy Spirit restrains our desire for revenge, removes our focus from ourselves, and reminds us to trust in Him alone. It's probably not surprising to learn that the ancient law system revealed in the Code of Hammurabi included very excessive penalties against anyone who stole someone's property. They demanded that such people must be put to death. Steal a goat from a rich guy and you would be killed under that law. The ancient code of the Sumerians or Babylonians manifests a timeless inclination to replace fair retribution with punishment, retaliation, especially when people don't give us the respect and honor that we feel that we deserve. Lamex boasts that he killed a man for wounding him and a young man for striking him because his revenge is 77-fold. That, that claim that we read in Genesis 4, verse 23 to 24, that's the way of life for everyone who finds their reason for being, their reason for living in their possessions and in their own reputation. That's why we too, in our struggling against our sinful nature, we often feel justified in teaching someone a lesson by doing back to them a little more than they did to us so that they won't dare try to harm us again. You could think of incidents maybe in your classroom or in your school or perhaps on a sport field. Getting revenge is often considered to be a right and and even a duty for people who worship themselves as gods and do not recognize the Lord in heaven. The people Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount had proud and vengeful vengeful spirits when they interpreted the eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth law that is commonly referred to as the law of retribution and retaliation. It's a law that's found in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. The Jewish leaders in Jesus' day used the law to teach that the Lord commands us to retaliate to others according to how they treated you. If someone pokes out your eye, you have a duty to poke out their eye. If they strike you and knock out a tooth, you should strike them back. That's what they were teaching. If they slander you, you should slander them back. Do to others what they do to you. Taking the instruction out of context to serve their own selfish goals, the Jewish leaders reinterpreted a rule that God had given to judges to use as a a command to guide them in their personal interactions with people that caused them harm. They believed that it was the duty of every person to stand up for your rights. Take what is yours. Don't let anyone push you around. And don't let anyone get away with insulting you. The Jews were using the eye-for-eye and tooth-for-tooth law to justify being selfish and vengeful and suing their neighbor for damages to try and get the most out of others that they could. 
Now when we go to the Old Testament and we review the law that the Jews were referring to, we can quickly see that the Lord had not given that law to encourage a rebellious, self-centered spirit. In fact, the law explaining an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was actually a restraining law that was given to judges to ensure fair retribution and a punishment that fit the crime when people came to them with their disputes. God's people were not to be like Hammurabi and the Babylonians who allowed for extreme punishments for property crimes against people of a higher social standing than you were. But they were to submit their case to judges who would ensure that punishments fit the crimes. The Lord gave the law of retribution to authorities he had established in the land to do like we confess in Article 36 of the Belgic Confession in order that the lawlessness of men be restrained and that everything be conducted among them in good order. God does not approve of the desire for revenge and the judges in the land over his people were to show this. The very fact that the selfishness of the Jews made them break a law that had been put into place to defend justice exemplified how much we sinners need laws and need people in authority to enforce them. In James 3, verses 14 and 16, the Holy Spirit explains, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And brothers and sisters, when we understand these words, when we look at our own lives, when we understand our own sinful desires, we also see that it's a great blessing to have parents, teachers, elders, judges, and civil officers to rule over us. A rebellious spirit that is driven by selfish ambition does not come from the Holy Spirit. And our Lord Jesus shows us the better way by revealing the meekness and the humility that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. You see, the Holy Spirit removes our focus from ourselves. The rule of retribution in kind was a rule that was given to judges as a concession to restrain excessive retaliation among the citizens of a particular country. And although it is based on the same principle of love that God wants us to show to our neighbors, it does not have the same profound effects that the law of the Spirit, of the law of the Spirit that he writes into the hearts of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This law of the Spirit that, that he works into the hearts of believers goes beyond the minimum requirement given to citizens 
of just being fair. In fact, as we read our text in light of this context, we could probably not imagine a more extreme and opposite contrast between the Jewish interpretation of the law of retribution in kind and the command that our Lord gives us in this text. Rather than sue for damages and defend your honor and reputation by fighting back, Jesus tells us, do not resist the one who is evil. And what exactly did Jesus mean with this very short and very counter-cultural statement? Do not resist the one who is evil. Before we, need to, before we move on, then, we need to clarify that this text is very specifically dealing with what lies in the hearts of believers in a specific context. It doesn't work to apply it into all kinds of situations. This is not an anti-war, pacifist text applied to civil governments uh, condemning all violence because it is clear elsewhere in Scripture that civil officers and judges actually have the duty and the sword to resist evil through the establishment and the enforcement of laws. It's not something that can be applied to civil rulers. Our Lord is also not talking about situations where we see evil being done to others and we have a legal and a moral duty to act in their defense as if we shouldn't resist any evil that is taking place in the world. The Bible makes it clear in many places that it is the task of people in authority to protect the people in their care by resisting evil, by defending justice. It's also important to understand that our Lord Jesus is not undermining his own words, his own protests, and his willingness to instruct evildoers who were not doing their task. Nor is Jesus contradicting his own command in Matthew 18, calling each one of us to call sinners to repentance. Sometimes we need to show love to our neighbor by pointing out their sins, by encouraging them to repentance, to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So what is the situation that Jesus is addressing? He is addressing the hearts of individual Christians in their personal interactions with others. And he taught us in these interactions not to have the same selfish and proud attitude of the Pharisees who were looking, longing for revenge. Our Lord Jesus wants you to think about what goes on in your heart when one who is evil does something unkind to you or wants you to do something for them that you might consider unpleasant. Do you understand the attitude that the Holy Spirit works into the hearts of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Our Lord Jesus gives us several examples that we can use to gauge our hearts. The first example Jesus gives of one who is evil is the person who just walks right up to you and without any provocation gives you a slap on the right cheek 
Although since most people are right-handed, and he speaks about getting hit on the right cheek, our Lord is probably envisioning a backhanded slap on the face. Or perhaps someone shoving you to the side to get ahead of you. How do you react when someone walks up and gives you a Will Smith slap to the face or shoves you to the side because you are smaller than they are or looks down on you with contempt as if you were just a second-class citizen? How do you respond? Jesus says that citizens of the kingdom of heaven will turn to him the other cheek also. Can you see the difference in the heart of those who follow their instinct to hit back and get revenge, that eye-for-eye Pharisee style, and those who turn the other cheek and don't hit back? Jesus tells us that when the Holy Spirit is in our hearts, we won't think that we are too special to be insulted, that we have to take defensive action to defend our honor. Understanding that Jesus is talking generally about cases of unprovoked insult, he's not speaking of cases of domestic abuse, we hear our Lord teaching us not to take ourselves too seriously or to get offended easily, but to remember that we are no better than anyone else in the eyes of God, the one King. The second example that our Lord Jesus gives is of a vindictive lawsuit where a person sues you and takes your tunic. A tunic was, the, was a piece of regular clothing that a person would wear every day, like our pants and shirts, that people would wear close to their body under their outer cloaks. Since the law of God prevented the taking of someone's cloak in pledge because it was needed to keep them warm, was used as a, a blanket at night as well. The person that Jesus has in mind is someone who is following God's laws on the outside, claiming to be a follower of God who knows this law and yet is so impatient to receive the money you owe them that they end up trampling all over your basic human rights. They're willing to take the clothes right off your back. What do you do when you are brought to court by vindictive people who live by the Pharisee version of the eye-for-eye eye rule and they want to sue you for what they think you owe them? Jesus says, that in such a case, you should not resist the person, the one who is evil, and you should give him your cloak too. Do you see what Jesus is getting at? What lives in the heart of a person who responds to such a vindictive legal assault by giving him more than he is demanding? Although Jesus isn't saying that there is never a time for a believer to seek protection under the law, he makes it clear that people with the Holy Spirit will not be vindictive back. To follow Jesus' instruction, you would need to move past that disregard that was shown to your rights. To follow his instruction, you would need to have an identity that went beyond your personal property 
so that you weren't really attached to it at all. To follow his instruction, you would need to be humble and forgiving, patient. The next situation that Jesus presented as an example was well known to the Jewish people living under the Roman occupation where soldiers could demand that civilians carry their things for one mile. And civilians had no right to refuse. When Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry Jesus' cross, he faced a situation like this. Jesus' instruction touches here on people's natural resentment to the demands of government forced upon them, especially legislation that we don't like and perhaps even have opposed. What would you do if you were going about your daily task and then were forced to drop whatever you were doing to attend to the demands of some government officer and forced to go within one mile? Our Lord Jesus said, Don't resist the one who is evil, but go with him even further than he forced you to go. Again, what is the difference in the heart of a person who grudgingly does the minimum and the heart of the person who goes beyond the requirements of the law to to go two miles with the soldier? Thinking about this, we see that if nothing else, the person who goes two miles is a person who is patient with the situation of oppression, even though he might be taking active steps to try and change the government. In order to walk two miles, you would need to make a decision not to harbor bitterness. You would need to be willing to deny yourself so that you are willing to serve someone who doesn't very care very much about your cause. It's a completely different mindset, a completely different way than the Pharisees' version of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth law. Well, the three examples are summarized in the final instruction that Jesus gave in verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. With these words, the Lord Jesus once again teaches God's people what the Holy Spirit says so nicely in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. And as we were walking in today, we could read that displayed on the wall. Do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In contrast with the hypersensitive and easily offended, proud Jewish leaders who taught a system of defending your rights, your honor, and your possessions with a vengeful spirit, which ultimately led them to put Jesus Christ to death. Our Lord tells us that we, with the Holy Spirit, we have different gut reaction to being mistreated. We will not be pushing back in resistance, retaliation, pride, and self-defense as if it's our goal to always gain the advantage. It's staggering. It's staggering to think what it really means to be patient with the weaknesses and shortcomings and yes, even mistreatment of others, especially when they are in authority over us. 
And we see how our Lord Jesus is calling us to rest in the knowledge of God's sovereign rule. The sad reality of our lives is that there are people who are evil. And worse than that, that the evil one is directing these people to do things that hurt Christians. Satan revealed his hand most clearly in his attempt to end the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sent down from heaven. And as we saw in the last few sermons connected to Jesus' death and resurrection, our Savior, though innocent, was condemned to death as a criminal by false witnesses and a fear-stricken, unfaithful governor. And yet in all his suffering, under all these different unfaithful people in positions of authority, he continually displayed the meekness that he works in the hearts of all the citizens of the kingdom of God. He recognized that God had given Pilate his authority, John 19, verse 11. And patient with his weaknesses and shortcomings, he did not fret because of evildoers. First Peter 2 tells us he did not revile in return or threaten when he suffered. We read he prayed for the very enemies who were crucifying him and mocking him. Well, how could... Jesus do this. 1 Peter 2 verse 23 says that he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Indeed, that's how Jesus ended his life. He committed his spirit into the hands of his Father in heaven. And this attitude is behind all that our Lord Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that makes the followers of Jesus Christ so different than the Pharisees. We are nothing special compared to other people. And before God, we have no rights to defend because we deserve nothing. And yet, because of Christ's righteousness and his death on the cross for us, because of God's grace, we have received everything. And whoever believes in Jesus Christ has already crossed over from death to life. No general gives the order to his troops to put down their weapons before the battle is decided. But since Jesus says that we must, it's clear that he's already won the victory. We can be nonviolent and meek in our responses to the evil person who insults and dishonors us because the evil one has already lost. Jesus Christ has overcome the evil one and we demonstrate our faith in his rock-solid and complete victory by not even engaging in the little disputes that the defeated Satan tries to stir up. And if Christ would have us respond to, to those who do evil to Christians, how much more shall we act like this when we encounter one who is incompetent in their office, full of shortcomings in their calling, full of weaknesses in their position of authority over us? By God's grace, we are given an opportunity to bear witness to Christ's victory 
the Easter victory that we celebrate today. We, we can bear consequences to the implications of his resurrection, that he is eternal king of a kingdom of peace by our patience with the weaknesses of others. What kind of heart do your neighbors see displayed by what you say and do? Whatever your position might be concerning what other people should do or could do, can, they, can your neighbor charge you with being proud and selfish, easily offended, grasping? Or do they see that you trust that everything and, and every person is under the sovereign care of your faithful Heavenly Father? No person, no person alive can hope to live with an ability to stay calm under insult and injustice, to honor those in authority, to give up their possessions for those who ask, unless that person is born again, unless he has received the Holy Spirit. You see, the Lord Jesus teaching here, this is exclusive citizen of God's eternal kingdom of peace stuff. And we may praise God that we know that we may know that no matter what happens to us, nothing can separate us from the love of God. This attitude also stands at the heart of our confession in Lord's Day 39 concerning the fifth commandment. When we tell the world, we tell the world that although you cannot make us disobey God, even if you burn our whole body in the fire, we are committed to being patient with the weaknesses and the shortcomings of others, even those who mistreat us, slap us, take from us, compel us, ask from us, and we will be there for you without any malice or, or anger in our hearts. Not because we're so great, but because the Holy Spirit is so powerful. We will not be overcome by evil, but we will overcome evil with good. Romans 12, verse 21. Not only because we know that vengeance is the Lord's, but also because we know that in Jesus Christ, we already have everything we need for this life and the life to come. We can be confident and unafraid before the throne of the eternal King in heaven. And we don't need more than that. May God truly govern our hearts by His Word and Spirit so that we can see His hand in our hearts when we are called again and again to be patient with others. Amen. We'll now sing in response a hymn that gives thanks to the Lord for the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ, His dominion uh, over all things. This hymn is based on the psalm we sang, Psalm 72. In fact, it would have been the next stanza that we sang. Uh, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. Hymn 45, we'll sing this standing if you're able to stand and we'll sing it all together. <laughs> 